Hi friends, my name is Kyle and I get to be the lead pastor of Friends Church Orange. On behalf of myself and our team and our entire church family, we are thrilled that you're choosing to listen to this message and invest in your relationship with God. We believe that he's going to be speaking to you and inviting you to become more of who he created and designed you to be. So if there's anything we can do to serve you on that journey, we invite you to reach out to us. But for now, enjoy this message and listen for God's voice. We are thrilled that you guys are here with us today at Friends Church Orange. My name is Kyle. I get to be the pastor uh, along with my wife here and and a great team that loves to serve you guys so that we can help change this community and this world with the power uh, and for the name of Jesus. And as Janae mentioned, we've been going through this series called The Good Life. And one of the things we know, we've been learning here, of course, is the good life is life with God. It is impossible to have a good life other than life with God. And from the very beginning, we started unpacking. We're going through the book of First Peter, right? And he's been showing us what does the good life look like? These qualities and promises and characteristics like hope and hopefulness and eternity with God that we're called to be holy people that are set apart and empowered by him because he's transformed transformed our lives. And then he kind of transitioned from these promises, right, and qualities and characteristics to now, here's what this should look like lived out in the world. And so we started talking about that these last couple of weeks. What does it look like in our relationships with one another to honor and to respect, not just authority, but employees and and bosses. And last week, if you were here, Jonathan, uh, and of course, Michelle, she was the highlight, let's be real honest, but they talked about what does it mean to live this out in marriage, in a marriage relationship, to go from a power struggle to become a power couple in life. And so that's kind of where we're at in this passage. And today, Peter sort of walks us into this place in this chapter where we actually get to go on this guided journey together. It's almost like we get to take this adventure through God's word where we get to pause and reflect and let him speak to us so that we can kind of experience it. So many of us probably at some point in our lives, we've had a guide teach us something. We've had a guide take us on a hike. We've had a guide teach us how to scuba dive. We had a guide maybe that taught us how to parachute or something. We've had somebody that goes, hey, here's what you got to do. And here's what this is looking. And here's where things get dangerous, but here's where things are beautiful. And here's why this is worth it. And that's exactly where we find ourselves in 1 Peter today. So we're going to take a spiritual journey through God's word. We're going to take the passage and we're going to move through it and we're going to stop. And we're going to sit in it for a second. We're going to let God talk to us and reflect on that. Say, why is that important? And how does that look in my life today? And what would it mean? We're going to take some time to just sit and, and to pray with and for one another to let God speak. We're going to take some time to sit and reflect on Jesus and his love and his sacrifice for us through communion. And in all of this, we're going to take some time to actually remember why we choose to follow Jesus as individuals. And maybe for some of you, maybe today's the first time you've been to church. Maybe you're just kind of exploring maybe what God and Jesus and this whole church thing looks like. You're going to get a really clear picture today of who God is and who Jesus is and why we choose to follow him. And one of these stops on this spiritual adventure 
is you're going to get an opportunity to choose to trust him with your life. And maybe it's the first time you've ever even said yes to that. So that's the adventure that we're going to go on with one another and with Peter. So I invite you, if you would, if you brought your Bible, turn back to 1 Peter. It's the book we're walking through. If you don't have a Bible, remember, we would love for you to have a Bible. There's Bibles back there at the Next Steps corner. Grab one on your way out. But 1 Peter, we're going to look at chapter 3. And remember, Peter's kind of been on this roll, teaching us what it looks like to have a good life all the qualities and characteristics, how it looks lived out. And then we find ourselves right here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. He says this, Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope, As a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle, respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. We have all this hope, we have all these promises, we have what it looks like to live, live this life, this good life out, and then all of a sudden we hit these five verses and it starts talking a lot about harm and threats and shame and suffering. And you almost feel this emotional turn that takes place in what Peter's saying. It's something that's kind of sobering, really, in light of everything he's been talking about. And it's actually one of the things that I love about the Bible. It's one of the things that I love about God is that he's honest and he's not naive to what's happening in our lives or in this world. And so essentially what Peter's saying here right off the bat is that he knows that suffering is a part of our story. He's essentially saying, look, we suffer. We are going to suffer. You will experience suffering in this world. And he's just being honest about that. It's like right off the bat, he's saying, don't be surprised by the suffering that's taking place. And we gotta remember, we gotta remember who Peter is talking to, who he's writing to. So remember, he's writing this letter to encourage Christians that are scattered all around the world because they're literally running for their lives under the oppression and the hatred and the violence that's taking place because people are so confused by them now and how they're living their lives. And so they must be confused about, are you kidding me? We choose to follow Jesus? We choose to trust Jesus with our life and this is what happens? Things get worse, not better? And so we see that that's what he's writing to them. But why would Peter do this? Well, not only is he writing to them because they're experiencing it, remember... Peter was there when Jesus said this. Remember, right before he goes to the cross, he gathers his followers, his disciples, that upper room conversation where he's preparing them. And he says this in John 16. Jesus says, in this world, guys, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. You will. Not you might, Not if you follow me, things are going to get so much better and easier. He's talking to his disciples. 
his followers, his friends, and he's promising them trouble. And so Peter was there for that conversation. And it's almost like he pauses here just to look at the church, at people that are scattered and confused and experiencing oppression and division. And he's just saying, remember, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. We understand suffering. We understand suffering. It's something we experience in our lives. We see it in this world. We experience it all around us just like they did. We experience it on our news feeds and images. We experience it as we drive into church and we see the homelessness and the hunger that just is all around us. We see the pain unfolding in people's lives. We understand suffering. And we understand that suffering isn't just an out there evil worldly thing. We understand suffering in our own lives. I know some of your stories, but I don't know all of them. But here's what I know. I know that many of you, if not all of you, you brought some suffering into this room today because of the things that you're walking through. I know that some of you are walking through the pain of betrayal and abandonment. I know that some of you are walking through disease and cancer, dementia. I know that some of you are walking through relational issues that have just frayed marriages and or you haven't even talked to kids or friends or family members in months, if not years. I know that you're experiencing suffering. It's not just an out there thing, it's an in here thing. And part of what Peter's reminding us in this is, hey, this world, it's gonna have so much suffering in it. And so try and, try and live this life of hope. Try and live the good life. And, and basically, then he also reminds them, don't make it worse. Don't compound the suffering with your choices. The last verse, right? He says, remember, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. See, you're going to suffer, but don't make it worse. When you walk through suffering, don't make it worse. Don't try and control it. Don't try and numb the pain. Don't try, don't become judgmental and condemnation and, and shame and guilt and become a victim and point fingers and blame and hold people hostage with bitterness. Don't do that. Don't compound the pain that exists in the world. It's, it's hard enough. And that's what Peter's saying. Remember, suffering is a part of the story. We suffer. And so this is the place where we pause. We pause just to let God speak and to meet us in our suffering. So the question is, where in your life are you suffering today? Where in your life are you in pain? Where in your life have the things of the world come crashing in in such a way that you feel overwhelmed just by darkness or you feel like you're just gonna drown in anxiety or worry or fear? Where are you suffering? Where have your own choices maybe just put you in a prison 
of suffering or fear. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and just sing a song over you. And as they do, I want to invite you, if you would, just to close your eyes for a second. And I want you just to sit in this moment and consider not just the suffering of this world, but the suffering of your life. And where might you be experiencing suffering? And maybe for some of you, it does feel overwhelming. I think the one thing that Peter would certainly teach us is don't, don't suffer alone. Don't be alone in your suffering. Suffering is a given, but being alone in it is a choice. And so as we sing and as we worship and let God minister to us, I want to invite you to certainly allow Jesus to meet you in your suffering. But also allow us to meet you in your suffering. Just by, we just want to pray over you, with you, for you. If you feel overwhelmed today by whatever suffering you're experiencing in your life, would you be willing just to raise your hand wherever you're at so we can pray for you? Just raise it, hold it up just for a second so we can see nice and high. I just want to invite people from our church family, our prayer team, just to move towards these folks. And you don't need to say anything even. Just put your hand on their shoulder, be with them. People from the church, if you're comfortable, just move towards the people with their hands up. Father, we pray as we sing and allow you to minister to our hearts that your love and your hope and your peace and your grace would meet us in this moment with hope. That we would be reminded that you see us and that you love us and that you care about us and that you're with us and that we do not have to suffer alone. Father, there's so much waiting that we do in this lifetime. Thank you that we don't, we don't have to wait alone. So I pray as we continue to listen to follow you as best we know how, that you would continue to speak into the suffering that exists in this world and exists in our lives and that you would continue to bring the healing that you want to bring and only you can bring because of who you are. We pray this in the power of your name. Amen. It's good that 
God doesn't leave us there, and neither does Peter. He continues, and and he unpacks in, in just one verse why you would even want to invite Jesus into your suffering and why you wouldn't want to do that journey alone. In verse 18, he says this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. The first two words capture the powerful invitation. Why would you want to invite Jesus into your suffering? Simply because Christ suffered. He understands suffering. You see, so often I think for for me, for many of us, regardless of how long we've walked with Jesus or we hear the story for the first time, we, we have an idea of who we think he was. And oftentimes we go first and foremost to the fact that he was God in the flesh. We go to the fact that he was perfect, that he was holy, that he was set apart, that he was this unbelievable teacher and model and example of what it looks like to live this life through this world, that he teaches us the most powerful and simple principles to live by, that he had this incredible power to see people and to heal people and to forgive people. And yet, it's easy to forget that he also was fully human. And he experienced every type of suffering and more that you will ever experience in this world. He experienced relational suffering, betrayal and abandonment by his best friends. He was abused, he was lied about, there was accusations that were made his way. He experienced emotional torture as he sat in the garden praying the night before he had to live out his own death, saying, is there any other way? I don't want what's in front front of me. Father, please, is there anything else? He knows what it's like to have to walk through the darkest valleys that we will ever experience. He experienced the spiritual suffering We understand there's this word that we use a lot in in, in the church and in the Bible and even today in this one verse, sin. And sin, of course, simply means, it's a biblical word that means missing the mark, right? So it's just off. It's not hitting the target. And we understand what, what sin is in our life. We understand when we miss the mark. We understand that Peter's calling us, God's calling us to this life, the good life of living out these qualities of hope and joy and peace and love and serving. And we understand what happens when we miss that mark. And we live in anger and bitterness and resentment and impatience and selfishness. We understand that. And we understand that those choices create suffering in our life. That's sin. We understand the weight of sin. I understand it. I understand what it feels like when I move through my day and all of a sudden I react or respond to my wife or my kids or a friend in the way that I didn't want to or didn't mean. I understand what it's like when I think thoughts that I don't even want to think. When I hold on to bitterness or anger. I understand those things, and so do you. That's the weight of sin. And here's the thing. Jesus 
it says he understands spiritual suffering because he takes on all the sin, all of it. Our own sin crushes us. He took on all of the sin of all mankind forever. Every single person, imagine that weight. That's what crushed him on the cross. He literally became sin. God had to hold him at a distance. He couldn't be close to it. And so it says he took all of that on. He understands physical suffering, beating, torture, being abused, literally dying, having nails driven through his wrists and his feet, having spears shoved in his side. Christ suffered. He felt all of that. And so there's nothing. There's nothing that you and I are going to experience or feel that he doesn't go, I know. I know. And he can enter into that with you. But not only that, it's, why would you, why would he do that? It's in this verse. Christ suffered, why? To bring you safely home to God. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he didn't want you to carry all that suffering. He did it because he knew that there was no way you could manage all of that sin and damage and brokenness on your own. He knew that you couldn't earn your way back into a relationship with God. And so he invites you to just bring your suffering, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your sin and the damage and give it to him. And then what does he give you in return? Forgiveness and life and grace and hope and wisdom and power. He's just saying, bring me your worst and I'm going to give you my best. That's the invitation of the cross to bring you safely home to God that you might experience the power and the heart of a loving father that designed you, that created you, who sees you, who knows you, who wants to be in your suffering with you and demonstrated it by sending his own son to feel and experience all of that. That's the gift of Jesus and the cross. You see, but he knew that we'd forget that. He knew that we would forget that he knew and experienced suffering. That's why as part of that conversations with his disciples and his followers, remember, he took some bread and he said, I want you to take this and you have to do this so you remember me. You have to remember that I was real. You have to remember that I was human. You have to remember that I experienced all the suffering you did. You have to remember that I'm giving my body for you as a sacrifice. And then he took a cup of wine. He said, you have to remember that I'm also fully God, that I also am going to give my blood. I'm also going to give this sacrifice once for all time. So you don't have to walk through all these rituals trying to earn favor with God in his standing. You simply just have to believe that I'm God's son and that I'm giving my life for you. And trust me with that. Jesus knew we'd forget that which is why he gave us the gift of communion to help us remember. So as we continue on this journey,
together today, we're going to pause and remember. Remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Remember the suffering of Jesus so that we know that he is with us and that understands us and loves us and took on the suffering of our sin. So as we sing, there's a couple communion stations up here at the front. There's one at the back. It's an opportunity just to go take a piece of the cracker. You can dip it in the juice. There's gluten-free options for you, if that's you. But I just want to invite you guys to pause. Remember your suffering. And then remember the gift and the sacrifice of Jesus to know and to enter your suffering with you as we respond. You're free to go. There's a freedom. There's a freedom that we get to experience when we choose to trust our life to Jesus. Because one of the things we know is that it didn't end on the cross. While he understands our suffering and he experienced our suffering, it also becomes the moment in time where he overcomes suffering. He overcomes death. He overcomes evil. And that's what we see where Peter goes from here. The story doesn't end, but he reminds us of the power and the authority that Jesus and Jesus alone has to overcome suffering and evil. In verse 19, it says, So he, Jesus, went, he preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And water is a picture of baptism which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He's seated in the place of honor next to God and all of the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. All of the angels, all of the powers, all the authorities accept his authority. That's not just the, the good angels, the angels that we picture with the wings and the harps and the halos like following God. That's all of the angels, including fallen angels that are choosing to try and disrupt our lives with suffering every single day. That's all the powers of spiritual darkness that try and overwhelm this world and lie to us every day. Jesus has the authority over all of it. And his resurrection demonstrated it. And so we see this, it's these five verses, this is literally one, uh, theologians would say, it's one of the, the top 10 most confusing and debated passages in all of the New Testament. So I'm gonna unpack it for you in about three minutes. <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> Listen, Bible geeks, dive deep, Go home, there's a million commentaries that will get into all the nuances, all the arguments, all the debates. I'm not gonna do that. What I'm gonna do is give you the one thing that everybody agrees on. Jesus's victory through his death on the cross 
and his resurrection from the grave gives us strength to go through suffering. He and he alone has the power to give us, to keep walking when we feel like we want to quit. He and he alone has the power and the authority to take on sin. He and he alone has the power and the authority to build a bridge to bring you safely home to God. He and he alone has the power and the strength and the authority to get us through suffering. And there's this language then that Peter winds through here about baptism and the story of Noah, which the story of Noah would have been an incredible familiar story for them, just like it is for many of us. And there's three things that are really, really critical in that. They understood that water, generally, especially in the Old Testament, uh, was often viewed as a powerful and destructive force that would kill and destroy and so that's what we see in, in baptism even, right? This picture, we were talking about it earlier, where you're buried underwater, and then you're raised to new life with Jesus. Jesus often talked about his own death and resurrection in terms of baptism. So that's a common language for us now, not for them, but Noah was a familiar story. And there's three things that we see in the story of Noah that are represented in this passage that we would have understand about God. The first one is God's patience to save. It says God waited patiently while Noah was building the ark. Well, what does that mean? And what was he doing? He was waiting patiently. And he wasn't just waiting patiently while Noah was building the ark. He had been waiting patiently because God was so distressed and so saddened and so overwhelmed at the evil and the suffering that had been created and introduced in this world. He was ready to destroy it all. And so he sent Noah first as a prophet to start reminding people of, wait a minute, where's God? Turn to God. He loves you. He sees you. Trust him with your life. Remember who we are. And people wouldn't listen. And so God waited patiently as that message was represented. And then ultimately he's like, I got to do something. Noah, I need you to start building an ark. So Noah starts building an ark. And what did people do? They laughed at him for months while he's building this ark. And I'm sure they would go by and say, what are you doing? You're crazy. You're building an ark. And he's like, well... I'm building an ark because God wants, he wants to love you and he wants you to love him. And so God waited patiently while Noah built this ark. And he does the same thing with us. You see, there's all kinds of opportunities and invitations that God's giving you and me every single day and everybody in this world to go, hey, I see you and I love you and I know you and I have something better for you. I have a good life that I designed and created for you. He speaks to us through creation. He speaks to us through people. And you know who he's talking to you through today? Me. See, God's waiting patiently. He always does. And that's what it means. The second thing we see is God's faithful to save. It's not just he's patient to save, but he's faithful to save. We see that in the story of Noah, right? He made these promises to Noah, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. The most unbelievable story of flooding the earth and yet you're going to make it, you and your family. You see God's faithfulness in saving and in rescuing even in the midst of terrible suffering. You see God's making that same promise to you today. Hey, I'm faithful. I'm faithful to save. I will do what I said I will do. You see God's patience, you see his faithfulness, and finally you see God's power to save. 
You see it not only a story of Noah, protection, provision. Imagine that. What a spiritual adventure God took them on. But ultimately, what happens? The earth, the waters recede. He finds a way to do what? Move out of the water into a new life. God gives him power to move forward out of an old life into a new life. The removal of sin and death and evil and suffering in this world and all of a sudden something beautiful. And that's exactly what God wants to do for you and me. It's everything he wants to do. And that's what he's painting is this picture of Jesus. God's patience to save. He's been inviting you. He's been calling you. He's been demonstrating and showing himself to you. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've paid attention to it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe light bulbs are going off right now like, I never knew. God's faithfulness to save in Jesus. He's already made a way. Forgiveness, life, the good life, freedom, hope, grace, it's all there. You just have to receive it. And finally, God's power to save. Do you know that Jesus is the only alive God in the world? Do you know that Jesus and only Jesus conquered death, came back to life? Do you know that Jesus promises when you choose to trust him with your life, he gives you the same power that raised him from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead all of a sudden is alive in you. You see, that's where we see that Jesus' victory, what Peter's saying is, hey, we suffer. This world is a world of suffering. But remember, Christ suffered. He understands all of the pain and experience. Don't forget his humanity and his payment for sacrifice. And most of all, don't forget that that victory over evil will give you strength through the suffering that you're walking through all of your life and right now in this moment. You see, that's what Peter's reminding them of in this moment, that Jesus' victory will give you strength through suffering. He's probably remembering the second half of that conversation. Remember John 16, where Jesus had called his disciples together, in this world, you will have trouble, but the very next sentence, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. This is before Jesus had died and been resurrected. Peter must have been going, what does that mean? You overcome the world, and then he watches him die, and what does he do? He runs and everything, and then he comes back. He did it. Peter's the guy. He's declaring and reminding us of of this truth. I heard Jesus say it. I saw him live it. So I want you to remember, there is a way through suffering, and that way is with Jesus at the center of your heart and your life, empowered by the same power that raised him from the dead. And so... Peter would ask, is that the power that's powering your life today? Have you let that power infuse your heart and your soul and your life? Have you decided that you're going to trust your life and your eternity and choose to follow Jesus? For many of us, you probably have. You've said, absolutely. And it's just this great reminder of all that we have in Christ. But for some of us, maybe we haven't made that decision. Maybe for some of us, we never even knew 
that that life and that kind of power was even possible. So what do we do? We believe. You just believe. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, you believe that Jesus is God's son. You believe that he was fully human and endured all that suffering, and you believe that he was fully divine and fully God and paid the price once for all for sin, and you believe that it's his death and resurrection that takes on all of that sin from you and empowers you for life. You believe that. And then you choose to listen and follow him. You believe. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. You believe. It's what Christians have done. Followers of Jesus have done for thousands and thousands of years. And so what do we do here at Friends Orange? How do we do that? How do we live that out? We just say, I believe. And so maybe, maybe there's someone here today who, who's never said that, who's never actually publicly declared, I believe. I believe that's what Jesus is inviting you to do. So I want to give you just a moment. And if you feel like God brought you to this place today so that you could receive the power of Jesus and the life he offers, just stand wherever you are and say, I believe. Amen. Stay standing. We're going to pray for you in a second. Anybody else? Never publicly declared your faith. Trust in Jesus. else before we pray. All right. Let's move around these people. Hear from our prayer team, from our church. Just be with them in this moment. Celebrate what God's doing. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for life. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for hope. We thank you for grace. We thank you for forgiveness. And we thank you for the strength that you give through the power of your spirit to move through the suffering and the pain and the evil and the challenges of this world. We thank you for these people that have stood and declared their faith publicly and openly to you, God. We believe in this moment (laughs) that you are rejoicing, you're smiling, you're laughing, you're celebrating. It says that angels, God, throw parties when people choose to wholeheartedly follow you. And so I pray and believe even in this moment that you're reminding them of who they are, the identity that you created for them to walk in. God, that you will continue to speak to them encourage them, fill them with the power of your spirit, reminding them that they are seen, that they are loved, that they are valuable, that they are chosen, and that, God, they are yours. 
And we pray this in the power of your name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and sing and respond to God's word.